Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are beginning our fall vision series. It doesn't feel like fall yet, but I did see one of the trees on my street is starting to turn, and I was a little bit concerned about that, but, you know, what are you going to do? We're only, what, eight months from spring, seven months from spring? It's not too bad. It's almost there, you know. The older I get, the faster that goes, so we're almost to spring. It's going to be good. January, Jamaica mission trip, by the way, if, you're, if you want to get out of here in January, we're going to go plant some yams. It's going to be a good time. So uh, yeah, clear, clear some farmland. It's going to be super good. Um, <clears throat> but we're starting our vision series, and we have a vision statement here at Good Hope, and people know what the vision statement is. It's very important for us because it's our compass. It's our way of trying to figure out if we're on track or not, because uh, from a leadership perspective, I got to tell you, Christians are sort of hard to get all going the same direction. You know, I've heard of the, the old adage of trying to herd cats. You know, cats, they don't go in groups. They just scatter and they do what they want to do. And Christians can be like that. You know, they've all got their own opinions. They all want to do different things, different ways and, and that sort of thing. It can be very, very challenging. And so we want to be doing certain things together. And that's where our vision statement comes from. This is what Good Hope Church is all about. And it's three things. And the vision statement's fairly simple. It's reach up, rise up, reach out. And basically what it means is we want to connect with God. We want to grow in our faith. And we want to make a difference in our world. Those are the three things we want to do together. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks And to help you remember it, we're going to do the hand motions. My wife is about to come in. We'll see if she'll do the hand motions. She does not like doing hand motions. She told me years ago, don't make me do hand motions. And I said, well, I just want to know if you'd be willing to do it. You know, because like, I'm serious. Because if people won't do the hand motions, what else can can we do together? You know, sometimes you have to do something that seems a little awkward or maybe isn't exactly what you'd want to do. But guess what? We need to work together to advance the kingdom of God, like pray together, worship God together, you know, uh, do these different events together. And so if we can do the hand motions together, oh man, maybe God can use us in powerful ways to advance his kingdom. So here's the hand motions to the vision statement. You don't have to do it yet. If you know him, you can. It's not that complicated. So... Reach up is like that. Rise up is like this. And reach out is like that. Are you ready? Let's see if you can do it, both physically and emotionally. Here we go. (laughs) Reach up, rise up, and reach out. Very good, very good. What What a wonderful, compliant group of people. You're doing very, very well. All right, so today, reach up. A real relationship with the living God is possible for you. A real relationship with God is accessible, it's attainable, it's something you can have. And our specific focus that we're going to talk about this morning is that the presence of God makes a difference. You can walk through this life without the presence of God, Or you can walk through this life with the presence of God. And the presence of God makes a difference. 
during the church service, during the song service, the presence of God makes a difference. If we're singing songs without the presence of God, it's different than if we're singing songs with the presence of God. When we're uh, having our devotion time, our prayer time, or we're reading the scriptures, the presence of God makes a difference. When we're going through our, our day at work, at school, uh, at home, the presence of God makes a difference. We want to grab hold of, walk in, experience the presence of God. I've got a couple of favorite stories. My favorite favorite is an Old Testament story about the difference the presence of God makes in 1 Samuel chapter 19. Now, this is an Old Testament story, and it's in the days of King Saul and King David. Remember David and Goliath? Uh, This is David, who is uh, going to be the king, but right now Saul is the king. And Saul is jealous of David, and every now and again he goes into these kind of rages, and he'll, like, a couple times... David is standing there playing the harp and the spear comes flying and David does one of these and whang, there's a spear stuck in the wall. Like that happened twice. And so every now and again, David would be in trouble and Saul wants to kill him. And this is one of those situations. And so Saul is trying to kill David and David runs away. And that's where we pick it up in 1 Samuel 19. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Word came to Saul, David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. So David runs to the prophet and says, I'm in real trouble. And presumably from the rest of the story, Samuel says, well, let's pray and let's believe God to intervene in the situation. And so they're praying. They're having church. And Saul sends a contingent of men to go get David. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men and they also prophesied. So, it'd be like if somebody came to church and other people were trying to get them and we're having our worship time and we're all praising God and the people that were going to go drag somebody away are like, oh, forget it, I'm going to worship God too. And they just, they just entered into the service. Wouldn't that be something? The presence of God makes a difference. So, Saul is a resolute man and he's not going to stand for this. So, let's go to verse 21. Saul was told about it and he sent more men and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time and they also prophesied. A couple of things that are really important here. First thing is the presence of God makes a difference. And the other thing is how long are these services? You know, because word gets back to Saul, he sends people, still doesn't work. Word gets back to Saul again, he sends people that's still going on. They're still prophesying. They're still in the presence of God. They're having revival meetings in in the Old Testament. Amazing stuff. Verse 22. Finally, he himself, that's Saul, left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Siku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over at Naoth at Ramah, they said. 
So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even upon him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his royal robes and also prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay that way all that day and night. This is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? The presence of God was thick in that place. And everyone who came in with whatever dark intention was impacted by the presence of God. This is, this is what I want for this property. Is that if someone comes in and they've got dark intentions about hurting themselves, that that would melt away and they would fall in love with Jesus. If they've got unforgiveness and bitterness towards other people, that the power and the love of God would hit them and that would melt away and they would offer and receive forgiveness. The presence of God makes a difference. If they can have that in the Old Testament, when, when the, the curtain was not torn in two, we can have it now. That's an Old Testament example, a New Testament example of the presence of God, the reach up part, the connecting with God, is Acts 13, 1 through 3. This is less, uh, less dramatic, but I think very important. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So they're having a church service. You know, they're, they're fasting, they're worshiping, they're praying. And the Holy Spirit says, I want Paul to be an apostle. And I want Barnabas to go with him. Send him on missionary journeys. This is a linchpin moment for the rest of the New Testament. And it was the presence of God giving divine direction to people who were seeking God. Now, I wish I was there. Because what, what was that like? Did... One of the people say, I really feel like God's saying that we should send off Barnabas and, and Paul. Or was there an audible voice? Did it get written on the ground? What was it like? I want more details. You ever read the Bible and you're like, give me more details. I want more details on that one. But whatever it was, it was not disputed. Nobody was like, well, yeah, that's your interpretation of what happened. But, I, you know, there was none of that. It was the Holy Spirit said, set these two apart. I've got a plan for them. And you send them off. So they laid hands on them. They commissioned them to go forward into their ministry. And boom, it all happened. And so the presence of God there gave divine guidance. Have you ever needed divine guidance? Here in Antioch, the church was full of pillars of the faith. 
They were worshiping God. They were fasting. They were praying. And God spoke and called Paul and Barnabas into ministry. The presence of God makes a difference. You can live your life distant from God or connected with God. Connected is better. Are you with me? You can come to church, believe the right things, smile and nod when the preacher wants you to, and be distant from God. Or you can do all those same things and be connected with God. Connected is better. So, how do we connect with God? Because some people just sort of naturally know how, and other people can't figure it out for the life of them. Right? So, how do we connect with God? This is very, very important. Now, let me say this. Different people connect with God in different ways. One of the goals I have for this morning is to give you permission to connect with God the way He made you to connect with Him. We just had our song service, our worship time. We call it worship. Some people call it praise and worship. It's the music time where we use music to try to connect with God because for a lot of people, music is helpful. It's like a spiritual atmosphere that allows you to go into the presence of God more effectively. But for other people, you know, music is kind of iffy. I grew up in North Dakota, and I learned two things. Thing number one, boys don't cry. Right? That was very important. We never knew what would happen if you did. (laughs) But it was going to be bad. So we just didn't. And the second thing was, boys don't sing. You know, you're going to sing. That's ridiculous. You stand outside in a t-shirt when it's 20 below and talk about how you're not cold. That's what you do. You don't sing. And so for me, you know, like connecting with God through music, it wasn't something that really made sense to me. Now, then I got saved, all these things changed in my life, and I connected with God through music. And it's been a beautiful thing for me, but it wasn't the way I started to connect with God, was through music. But some people, music is the thing that opens the door. And I got this uh, book from Drew Berryessa, who was here a few weeks ago. Great guy. He gave me a bunch of books to read. And so uh, this is called Sacred Pathways. And what it is is it's about the different ways different people connect with and stay connected with God, how they experience life with God and the things that are meaningful to different people. And so uh, there's nine categories that this guy has And I don't necessarily think these are perfect categories and that sort of a thing. But the whole point is, different people connect with God in different ways. Don't feel required to connect with God the ways somebody else connects with God. Find the ways you connect with God. And here are the categories. Uh, First category, naturalists. People who love God outdoors. People who can look at the creation and just swell up with the love and presence of God. There are uh, sensates, the people who love 
like an all-sense experience. People who would have really enjoyed Solomon's temple in the Old Testament time with the ornate structures and the incense and the music and just very experiential. Those are the sensates. Then there's traditionalists who connect with God through ritual and consistent uh, things like church attendance and sacrifice through giving and service. That's the traditionalists. Then you've got the ascetics. Those are the prayer closet people who just don't want to be bothered. They don't want to see anything. They just want to be in their prayer closet, worship God, pray to God, connect with God in that very solitary environment. Then there's activists. People says here, the subheading is loving God through confrontation. Activists, there are people who connect with God by taking a stand, by going into this world and saying, you know, doing, doing their thing. That one never crossed my mind. But then I thought, well, maybe I'm one of those. I'm a church planter. You know, like, you know I like to go out. Now, I don't like confrontation. I'm a nice, pleasant person. But uh, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, let's go make a difference. Let's go change something. Activists, caregivers, Loving God by loving others. Mother Teresa, a great example of that. She loved God. And she expressed it and experienced it through loving other people. Enthusiasts. These are the people that love to cheer on God in a big group revival meeting. You know, they just want to be all there in the, in the big thousand people just, you know, having that pep rally experience with God contemplatives. These are like Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and just adored him. People like that. Soaker worship where you just, you got the soft music going on. You're just loving God. Contemplatives. And then intellectuals. Loving God with the mind. Thinking uh, thinking on God and trying to understand God and connecting with God that way. You can see this is quite a variety of different things. It's not all music, is it? There's lots of different ways to connect with God. So I give you permission this morning to find the ways that you connect with God and go ahead and connect with God. Because being connected with God is better. The presence of God makes a difference And you've got to take ownership of that. You've got to be your own advocate with that. You might come to the song service and be like, well, okay, when is this going to be over? Well, then you need to connect with God in other ways. Now go ahead and try to sing out. You know what I'm saying? Like that helps everybody. Sing out. It's a good thing. But find the ways that you are built to connect with God. Let's look at Mark chapter 2, 18 through 22. Jesus is... Uh, talking about a particular religious dynamic because he's asked a question. And let's look at that and apply it to the topic that we're talking about today. Mark 2, starting in verse 18. Now John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came, excuse me, some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So here's the question. Should you fast? Well, yeah, fasting's good. Jesus talked about when you fast. He didn't say if you fast. Uh, But Jesus' disciples were not fasting. 
John's disciples were fasting, the Pharisees and the Pharisees' disciples were fasting, but Jesus' disciples were not fasting. Why not? Was Jesus now going to go, oh, everybody's fasting? Okay, well, I, I, I didn't realize it was fasting time. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. We want to fit in, you know. Is that what he's going to do? Verse 19. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. So Jesus is saying, we're having a happy time now. This is the fun time. This is where I'm here. They're experiencing the the miracles and the blessings of God in a special three-year window. And it's not time to fast. It's time to be happy. It's time to celebrate. Verse 20, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day they will fast. So he's saying there will be an appropriate time to fast, but now isn't that time. So we're not going to fast now. Verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old making the tear worse. We'll just leave it with that. So, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the days when your shirts would shrink. You know, if you dried them on high heat, just you'd have a little bitty shirt. Uh, Now, they're they're better at that. Even I can do laundry nowadays. But so many people told me that what that verse means is, When you get born again and when you get saved, the things you used to do don't fit your life anymore, so don't do those things anymore. Live live the new life. And I was always a little unsettled with that because he's talking about fasting. And I thought, well, I don't know. And I think you can broaden what this parable means and just say, do the thing that makes sense at the time. Have you ever felt pressure to be on fire for Christ? Like, that's our goal, is to be like, super excited about Jesus. Well, what if you're going through a really difficult time? Are you, do you need to be super excited at that time? Or you're somehow failing God? Hey, do the thing that makes sense at the time. If it's a grieving time, grieve. If it's a buckle down under serious struggle, buckle down under serious struggle. If it's a time of joyful celebration, joyfully celebrate. Whatever you need to do to connect with God, do that. When I first started going to church in earnest, I was going to a little independent Pentecostal church, and it was wild and crazy. I mean, I enjoyed it tremendously. It was fantastic. I'm not kidding you. During the the music would start, and people would start running. There'd be people go outside. They'd be running around the outside of the building. They'd be running in the aisles. People are laying on the ground. People are jumping around. It was just mayhem. And I, I enjoyed it a lot. It scared various people. But for me, I didn't really care. People can act however they want. It doesn't hurt me any. So it didn't bother me. And sometimes, though, I just sat in that environment of exuberant worship sat in in my pew, just kind of paging through the Bible, looking at the subheadings in the Gospels, and just being with God. I felt very comfortable just sitting there. 
because that was what I needed to do at that time to connect with God. And so I give you permission to not have to look around and mimic what you see other people doing, but find the ways that you connect with God and connect with God. Because connecting with God is better than being disconnected from God. And it's available. So let's grab hold of it. But maybe the ways you've been shown and the things you've been taught aren't really working for you. Maybe you you have a, a different way that you've been built and you need to connect with God those ways. Some of the things I like to do I've really got three go-tos for my connection with God time. The first thing that I do is I turn on the worship music and walk around in the sanctuary. I, I, sometimes I pray, sometimes I just be. Uh, this is what I do. I just walk around, you, you know, and I straighten the chairs out because they always get crooked and pick up little pieces of garbage. And, and it's a wonderful, wonderful time just to be with God. Another thing that I do is, is listen to my audio Bible and do something like work in the garden or split wood or something like that. Shovel snow. Because I can't, I can't think and sit still at the same time. You know, I have to move. Well, okay. Then I'm going to move. I'm not going to... I have a desk. <laughs> I just spread papers on it and walk away. That's what I do with my desk. But I need to, I need to move around in order to be able to process and think and pray and worship and be in the presence of God. That's the best thing for me. Then the third thing is I I do like to go out into the wilderness and find a quiet place and just sit by myself. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, Other people have different things. You know, uh, you're... Your classic is your morning devotional routine where we've got soap, scripture, observation, application, and prayer, which is a journaling exercise where you, you, know, you get up in the morning and you have your coffee and your Bible and you, you read and pray. That can be powerful, wonderful stuff. Uh, some people just, you know, they're doing the dishes and they crank the worship music in their house and it's, it's fantastic time with God. Whatever it is, whatever you need to do, Find the ways you connect with God and build that relationship. Don't feel like your way of connecting with God is wrong. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's the only, way, he's the only one that died for our sins and was capable of dying for our sins. But there are lots of ways to connect with that God. And so feel empowered to be able to do that. Let's talk about a terrible, terrible but very, very common substitute for knowing God. And that is this, knowing about God. Knowing God and knowing about God are two different things. I know about Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, who's going to have a great year this year. Uh, I know about him, but I don't know him. I've never met him. He's never met me. I know about him. That wouldn't be a substitute. If I was his mother or a sibling of his, or I wouldn't want to know about him, right? I'd want to know him. I don't want to know about God. I want to know God. And worse than knowing about God 
is knowing about what somebody else knows about God. You know what I mean? Like that next derivative way. Like, oh, well, so-and-so says this about God. Well, at least go to the scriptures and get to know about God rather than know about what somebody else is saying about God. Now you're two derivatives away. That You're getting farther from God. Go to God. Get to know God. Let's read Hebrews chapter 4. 14 through 16 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So this is saying that Jesus knows what it's like to be here. He was here. So don't think he's going to reject you because of your failings, because he knows what it's like. He can connect with you and understand you, even though he's God. Verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Let us enter in. Let us not think thoughts about God or think thoughts about what other people think about God. Let's, you know, it's, it's okay to think thoughts about God. But don't let that substitute for your relationship with God. Enter in. The promise is here that we can go boldly before the throne of grace. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. If that's available to us and we miss it because we're not musical people or whatever the case may be, what a tragedy that is. Let's approach the throne. Let's understand. Fantastic. I am going to now go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And let's... Let's read through just a few verses, 35 through 40, and let's understand the difference between seeing Jesus and seeing Jesus. Our culture has heard about God, but they haven't seen. Let's look at what this says here in John chapter 6. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's quite a promise. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. So if you've seen Jesus, imagine in this day where he's doing miracles, he's walking, he's telling parables, he's teaching, he's demonstrating the power of God and people see that and don't believe. Then you missed something. If you've seen Jesus and didn't believe, you're missing something. This could literally be translated, you have stared at me and still you don't believe. Like, have you ever made eye contact with a cow? they'll, they'll, They'll look right at you. They do that thing. Do you get the sense that they understand who you are? Not at all. They'll look at you, though. 
These people looked at Jesus, but they didn't see. They didn't understand. And I think how much more difficult it must be for people to see God in our world now, where we've got religion and churches and crosses on the wall, but we don't even have Jesus walking around. How much more difficult? How easy is it to see religion and miss God? To see crosses and Christian t-shirts and not know the Lord? But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I find this section of Scripture very interesting because it's looking at Jesus in two different contexts. You have seen me and still you do not believe, but everyone who looks to the Son and believes will receive eternal life. We can look to Jesus, understand who He is and trust in Him. And it's a completely different thing than just being aware of Christian theology or aware of different Bible verses or aware of various Christian worship songs. One has the presence of God and the other does not. We need to look to the Son and believe. See and believe. Only then do you receive the promises. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute. Let me ask you this question. What do I do if my prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back? Have you ever been in that spot where you're trying to connect with God, you're trying to hear from God, you're trying to get there, and it's not working? Have you been there? I've been there, and I'm the preacher guy, so I'm pretty sure that everybody else has been there too. Where you want the presence of God, but you're missing it. Now there's the obvious answers of look and see. What are, you, what are you doing that's separating you from God? I've had times where I've disobeyed God and then been without God for periods of time. You've got to look and see. What am I doing that might be separating me from God? But then the question or the answer to the question, what do I do if I'm trying to connect with God, if I'm praying, I'm worshiping, I'm trying, but it just seems empty and hollow. Have you ever read the Bible and it's just dead, dead, dry, nothing? I've done that after getting saved. Is that my fault? You know what I mean? Uh, is it God's fault? I'm missing something if I'm looking into the Holy Word of God and it seems boring and dry. There's something that could be there that isn't there. Here's what you do. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. 
Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, I've been connected with the Lord since 1988. Some things I have sought and found immediately. Other things I'm still looking for the answer on. So I don't think this means that you're going to get every answer, every moment instantaneously. Some seeking takes time. Some asking needs to be repeated. But there are times where we'll get the answer immediately. We'll get the presence of God immediately. We will receive. Persevere in asking and seeking, in knocking. And then the connection will come. So let's pray. Let's believe God that we can connect with him because the promise is there and we can have it. And it's better to be connected with God because the presence of God makes a difference. And then I'll invite people up for individual personal prayer. When it's for personal prayer, it doesn't matter what the prayer need is. You want to start a relationship with Jesus? Come on down, get prayer. You've got a physical need. You need healing. You've got an emotional need, a spiritual need, a relationship need, a financial need, or you just need a blessing. Come down, get prayer. Well, let's pray together and believe to be able to connect with the living God. So Heavenly Father, your word says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not know ideas about the throne of grace, but go to the throne of grace. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would break the the barriers and help us to approach your throne because we need help in our time of need. We need to connect with you. We need to know you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us. I ask you for all of us here that you would help us to be able to see you in your fullness, understand your majesty and power and love. Let us see. Lord, for those who are struggling to connect with you, I pray a perseverance in their seeking. I pray a perseverance, Lord, in their asking. Lord, I pray perseverance in their knocking that the breakthrough may happen. Lord, let us walk this life with you. Stay connected with you. Lord, we honor you and we give you praise. And we thank you for your grace and mercy. I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be in our hearts. I pray, Lord, your strength would be in us to walk with you and serve you. And I pray, Lord, that your joy would well up within us and overflow into our families, our workplaces, our schools, into this whole world, Lord. Let your light shine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.